As we continue this series, the message is today, as we walk through this journey as foreigners, living in a place that's not our home, earth is not our home, we're only here for a short period of time, but we're supposed to make a difference while we're here. Our home is in heaven for those of us who are Christ followers. And so we are on a short-term missions trip. And in light of that, as we've been walking through this series of messages, we're finding what we should be doing. And today, we need to bring to light that while we walk on this short-term missions trip, that you and I are opposed. We have an enemy who's trying to derail us, divert us, keep us from being on mission for him and living this life. And so as you walk through this life called earth on this earth, you will regularly be opposed. And the closer you get to the front lines of making a difference and sharing Christ with people, the closer you get, the more opposition that comes. And so you have to be aware of your enemy. You have to study your enemy. You have to know your opponent. You have to know how you can overcome and you have to know who you are. You have to know who your commander in chief is. So as we walk through this message today, we're going to take a look at our enemy. We're going to take a look at our opposer. We're going to take a look at the ways that he comes after us. My hope is this, that as you hear this message and you look at God's word, you will be equipped. You're the scout today. You're looking at the opponent. You're taking in information so that you know the way he works. You understand his schemes so that when they come, you know how you can overcome them. So that when you walk through this life, that you and I are on this short-term missions trip, we can live in a way that gives God his greatest glory. So know that this morning when you got up, you have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he has demons that were thrown out from heaven. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. A third of the stars were cast out. They went with him. There are created beings that God created. And now they battle with him. They are on a mission with him to divert you, to derail you, and to keep you from being who you need to be on this missions trip. So every time we go on a missions trip overseas, I remind him, don't be surprised if all kinds of things come at you, all kinds of temptations, all kinds of struggles, all kinds of adversity. But be aware that you have what it takes to overcome. One Sunday morning, let me give you an example. By the way, These demons aren't confined by space, nor your skin. They can move because they're spirit beings. They report back to Satan. And so they can find their place. They can come into an auditorium like this, enter into an auditorium, and try to divert the message. Even as I was prepping for this message, there is no fear when you know who you are in Christ. When you walk in the power of Jesus, when you know the truth, And you know that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. A few years back and on a Sunday morning after the final services, a lady stood up right over here, got to the top of her chair, stood up on her chair and began speaking in a voice that wasn't her own. And so I saw this lady familiar with her, knew who she was. She stood up and began accusing me, saying things about me in a voice that wasn't her own. It wasn't her voice. It was the the demon speaking this voice, accusing me of things that weren't true. You don't love your people. You're, You're a liar. Don't listen to him. And as people were leaving the auditorium that Sunday, one of the things I was very proud of Grace Community, because they understand there's no reason to be fearful, I watched pockets of people begin to pray. 
I watched this lady as the chairs were moving. I held my ground because I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I don't stand in my own power. I stand in the truth of who Christ is. And my Bible tells me that when we speak the name of Jesus, that demons flee and Satan himself flees. So as this lady went on to speak, she began frothing at the mouth. And and as chairs were cleared, she was crawling around the auditorium. We held our ground. I held my ground. And I watched this lady after praying for Jesus to intercede and watching the name of Jesus being proclaimed. I watched her finally come to her senses and then she was escorted from this room. Those are the kind of things that come your way when you're on the front lines with Jesus Christ. There's no reason to be afraid of them. There's no reason to be alarmed by them. It's just a reminder that that you're on the front lines as a church and as a family. And today as we walk through this, we need to be fully familiar, especially as fathers of our homes, as husbands to our wives, as singles, as, as, as mothers, to be aware that there is an enemy so that we know what to do before the enemy attacks. In light of that, I want to give you some facts about Satan that I know from his word. I encourage you today. This is a great day to take notes. If you're not a note taker, you will not remember all these facts. But this is like your scouting report of the enemy. This is your chance to say, I'm going to write this down. I'm not going to ask Jim later. I'm going to take it now and I'm going to use this. This is my playbook for life. And so you will get information from God's word today. And if you're a husband, I encourage you to take notes for your family. This is your chance to be the leader of your home so that you can guard the gate of your home so that you can protect your home as the gatekeeper of your home. Let me say a few things about Satan as before we move on. Satan is limited. He cannot be in more than one place at a time. That's very important. He's not omniscient, which means he's, he's not all-knowing. He only has information that has been brought to him or he has observed from the beginning. He can't project the future. He can't see the future. He can look at information and say, hey, this happened here, this movement of God, so I bet this will happen. But he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He's not omnipresent. He can't be in more than one place at a time. He is a created being, and a created being is limited. Only God the creator is omniscient. Only God the creator is omnipresent. So keep that in mind. So when we say things like, Satan made me do this. Let me tell you something. I doubt very much that Satan's there with you. He's going to be at the place where there's the most forward movement of God. Yes, his demons can be there. Another thing we know about Satan from scripture, he's most active where the most forward progress is taking place. When you heat up your walk for Jesus, he turns up the temperature with his attack upon you. So no, when you walk to the front lines, when you begin say, I'm all in for Jesus, know that those things that you struggle with will become even more of a struggle unless you walk in the truth of his word. Demons report back to Satan what is happening and do the majority of the havoc on our lives. They're not omnipresent. They're not all-knowing but they're capable of seeing what is happening and they report back to Satan himself. 
Satan has many worshipers. Many are underground. There are many people in this community who who worship Satan. Satan cannot read your mind because he is a created being. Now keep that in mind. That means the thoughts that you're thinking right now. Satan is, listen to me, incapable, incapable of reading your mind. Only God is capable of reading. He is a created being. He is limited and his power is limited based upon how much God gives him. Satan is crafty, we see from scripture, clever, a deceiver, and hear me out. He's really good at what he does. And he knows that his final destination is in the lake of fire and he is on a mission, hear me out, mission to derail and to blind the eyes of the unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, so they cannot see the light of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. Satan has power, again, I'll say, but only as much as God gives him. Now, let me just pull away and prep you this morning. If you aren't properly dressed for this battle, you will be overcome by the enemy. I say this in my prayers by now, after 21 years, that you, Christ follower, Grace Community Church who loves Jesus Christ, that when you woke up this morning, not only did you get dressed physically, praise God, we don't need naked people in here, but, but I pray, hear me out. I mean this with all of my heart. As is, is kindly as I say, please, I pray that you didn't leave your home today without getting dressed spiritually. I pray that you didn't walk out as the father and husband of your home without putting on the armor of God. One of the things that Ann and I have, have tried through the years as we've raised our children is to drive that home. Josh, Hannah, Isaiah, get dressed physically, get dressed spiritually. We have placed markers and, 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 and writings. If you go in the bathroom of jo- or Isaiah and Hannah, you will see on the cabinet is the armor of God reminding them, put it on. So by the time they leave the bathroom, they're brushing their teeth, I need a reminder. Because if any area you're going to forget that Satan wants you to forget is for you to get dressed for the battle. So if, if you walk into the battle and you're not properly equipped, you will be defeated. So my hope is this, that this morning, please make it a habit. Another discipline that I put into place in my life, you can do it if you want to, is I pray each morning, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Listen, I'm tempted. I fall. I sin. And if I can walk through my day and God himself can deliver me from evil, God himself can lead me not into temptation. I need all the help I can. Why not pray that prayer? Why don't you pray a prayer that will keep you from being tempted, keep you and deliver you from evil? Hear me out. If you're not dressed right now, today, as you're seated here, you walked into the battle zone in your speedo and you will be defeated. So here's what I want you to do. Instead of talking about it, let's get dressed. Take a moment and put on the armor of God. Just pray it on. I can't do it for you. Someone can't pray the armor on for other people. Put on the armor of God yourself right now. Just pray and ask him to place it on you.
In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what just happened. Now, let me tell you what just happened. Some of you weren't dressed spiritually. In the link, around the world, watching by the internet, and here in, in the main. Some of you came into this room. You got up and ate breakfast this morning. You got up and drove here this morning. And you walked to the front lines, and there's been artillery firing all around you. There's been bombs dropping. There's been this enemy, his demons have been firing at you. And you know what? His fiery arrows have been pen- penetrating you. Why? Because you weren't dressed. But here's what I want to tell you. You're dressed now. And listen, the shield of faith, the flex, the helmet of salvation blocks the feet that are shed with peace give you a peace in the midst of the battle. You can carry your sword and you can battle back. Now you have a weapon to defeat the enemy. But listen, you must put it on every day of your life. You do it with your clothes, don't you? Praise God you do. You should do it with your spiritual armor. Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at this armor. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. But turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. And stand with me, and we'll read it out loud together. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You may have a seat. When you're dressed and I'm dressed, we can stand, and then it says, and then stand firm, not in our own power, but in the power that comes through the armor of God. When we resist the devil, James 4, 7 says, and we submit to him, we surrender our lives to Jesus, we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Genesis chapter 3 We're doing a scouting report. We're going to look and see how the enemy works. That's my hope. I want you to leave here today and say, wow, this is how Satan works. This is who I am. This is how I can overcome. Genesis 3 is an incredible picture of how the enemy works. He came to Eve after God had told Adam not to eat from one piece or one tree in the garden. Don't eat this fruit. And he came to Eve and he provoked her or challenged her and tempted her with these things. And I want you to look at how he came after her. This is how he'll come after you. And so this is what we can learn from Satan from Genesis chapter three. His ability to speak, it is interesting. How Eve was apparently not surprised that he spoke in other words. 
And so I'll say this, his speaking is not represented as remarkable or unusual. I have often wondered, well, let me give you an example. Yesterday, I was running some miles at Benton Spillway, and as I was running, I saw three snakes. So somebody say, I'm not running there then, but they were out sunning themselves. And so I jumped over the snakes, and every snake I jumped over, not one of them talked to me. They didn't talk to me. Had they talked to me, I probably would run my miles a lot faster. But something is interesting about Eve here. She didn't respond in a strange way when this serpent spoke. You would think she would. She would think, hmm, snakes aren't supposed to talk. But there was something about his candid conversation with her that was remarkable, not unusual, that she actually listened. Now think about it. She listened to a serpent that was talking. He is capable of speaking in such a way that doesn't seem different or indifferent. So when temptation comes, he often speaks, and it doesn't seem that bad. Go ahead and do that. It won't be so bad. He'll speak through other people to entice you in. You'll get thoughts running through your mind, and it doesn't seem strange. It's not like, whoo, snakes shouldn't talk. It's remarkable. It's a language that's common that you're used to. Here's what else I know from Genesis chapter 3. He possesses great knowledge. As seen from his statement to Eve, and he asked her, did God really say, how does the serpent know, by the way, about the prohibition concerning the forbidden fruit? How did he know? He's not omniscient. How did he know that God even spoke to her. Here's why. He was secretly watching, observing, taking in information. And he studies you and me. Hear me out. He studied you this morning. He's been studying you for years. He knows your tendencies. He knows when you get up. He knows when you're frustrated. He knows when you're tired. He knows when you're angry. And he has been studying you. His demons report back. Eight o'clock, go after him. He's the weakest. He just got home from a late ship. And he's normally grumpy when he gets home. Bam, he's coming after you. He collects information. He's incapable of knowing all because only God knows all. But he is very intelligent. We see that because he found out information about Adam and Eve that he wasn't fully aware of unless he took time to study them. Here's what else I know from Genesis 3. He claims to know more about the fruit than God has revealed. And he does the same thing today. And he says, oh, it won't hurt you. Or this, if you eat from this, you will know as God knows. He likes to fudge the truth. And it's a lie. And he'll say things like this. Oh, it'll be okay. God's just holding out on you. He, you'll be fine. Go ahead and do that. God didn't want you to know that. But now that you know it, here, here, taste, eat, try. You'll be okay. It's exactly what he did with Eve. What else can we learn? He challenges God's character and motives. What did he do? By telling Eve, contrary to what God had said, you shall not surely die if you eat of this. He implies either that God is selfish or deceitful or both. 
he twists God's truth and desires to serve your best interests. If God really loved you, then you should have this anyhow, shouldn't you? Everyone else has it. Look, that family is enjoying it. You should enjoy it too. Why not you? What else do I know? He goes after the most vulnerable. The serpent addresses and attacks the wife. At least as far as we know from biblical narrative, she was not actually there when God told Adam not to eat from the fruit. So she's not fully aware. And so she has to wonder, why didn't Adam tell me this? Or did God really say that? And so he goes after her because she isn't or wasn't fully aware of all the information. He likes to attack us when we're vulnerable. He wants to come after your weakness. What else did he do in this account that he does for us? He plants a seemingly seed of doubt. Did God really say you must not eat? And here's how he does it with us. It won't be that bad. Everyone else is doing it. Are you sure it's in the Bible or is that some man-made rule? How many times have you heard that? Oh, we don't practice that anymore. That's part of the new covenant, not the old covenant. Instead of studying and looking, he even twists words and lingo and phrases that we have a tendency to run to. What else did he do with Eve that he does with us? He exaggerates. The extent of the prohibition and thereby suggests that God has placed unreasonable and unfair limitations on Adam and Eve. He wants you and us to believe that we have the right to cast judgment on God. And here's how it goes. Ah, that's way too difficult for a New Testament Christian. Sure, Old Testament believers, Israelites were held to that. But oh man, he's not going to hold you to that. Yet when I read in my Bible, in your Bible, when Jesus came, he raised the bar of expectation for us. Yes, we're in the dispensation of grace. Yes, there is grace. But Satan will exaggerate. Oh, no one could ever live up to that. So a little bit won't hurt you. Just a little bit. Oh, go ahead. Forgive. He's, he's a God that forgives us as far as the east is from the west. Yes, he does. But there's also consequences for our sin. So demons, who are Satan's cohorts, work hard then to divert the mission of reaching and seeking and saving the lost. You see, you and I, if we're not careful, and I'm trying to help us today, we give and have a tendency to give demons more power than they actually have over us. And for that matter, we give Satan too much credit and way too much power in our lives. Let me just set the record straight first. Before we proceed too much further, in regards to how much Satan can bench press, how strong he is, let me tell you how powerful this Satan is. Yes, he's very powerful. But keep in mind, you heard me say this recently, a created being is never to the same level as the creator. And we sometimes see Satan on one side, God on the other in our lives in this tug of war match. Like, woo, woo, God's got this one. Look, oh no, Satan's got control. It's like somehow we see the power similar, equal. Hear me out. There is no way a created being could ever be as strong and powerful as their creator. 
Yes, he's powerful, but he's only as powerful based upon how much power God gives him. And so don't say, good, yeah, good. Here's good. We got God on one side, Satan on the other, and they're just kind of having this boxing match. No, not even close. But demons work hard to divert our mission. So let's find out about Satan. Turn to Colossians chapter two. How much power does he have? It's important. We need to, we need to scout out our enemy. Any good soldier scouts out their opponent. Any good coach gives a, 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 a report on their team. Look at Colossians chapter two. Here, let's take a look at our enemy. Let's see how he's armed. Let's see what kind of weapons he has. Colossians chapter two, verse 15 says this. And having disarmed the powers, Jesus, at the cross and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And look what it says. Jesus did what to the powers and authorities of Satan at the cross? What did he do to him? Disarmed him. Let me give you a modern vernacular. Satan's got a gun holster, but he doesn't have a gun in it. And all he has is a finger and a thumb that he puts in that holster. So he spends his time. He's got a, he's a pink card carrying weapon and his weapon is a finger and a thumb. That's all he has. He has no weapon. At the cross, our debt was canceled and the enemy's weapon was removed. He has no weapon. Yet we let him bully us around with a finger and a thumb. Satan has no weapon. What else do I know? 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him and stand firm. The name of Jesus. When we were in Cambodia and Thailand on this most recent trip, one of the things I encourage our teams and I encourage my family, and I encourage our family here in America, and I encourage you, anytime you come against darkness, speak the name of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is speak. We go by shrine houses, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We walked into a, 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 a Buddhist monastery. We walked into a Buddhist pagoda. I walked up and talked to monks, and I spoke the name of Jesus. Why would you be afraid of a monk? Why would you be afraid of someone who dresses in iron and shows their chest anyhow? I don't understand it, but anyhow. Seriously, we walk in the power and authority of Jesus. There's no reason to fear. By the way, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why even fear death? If God has called you to to dark places and, and sketchy places and you know he's calling, then you walk in the power and authority of Jesus. And if you lose your life and you're walking in the power and authority, so be it. Your next breath is in the presence of your home and, and your savior, Jesus Christ. There's no reason to fear. Fear disables people. So the demons try to divert our mission. So if we stand firm, the enemy has been defeated. Satan then has been declawed detoothed and rendered disarmed and he can be resisted his defeat has already happened listen to me he's already he's already been defeated we already won the battle against satan but most don't realize that or live that way any longer you are probably more in the way of a victory dance than satan can will ever 
have impact on your life. So think about that issue with your daughter, that relationship thing, that sickness, that that thing has come against your family, that issue that seems so big. Here's what I know to be true. If we hand it off to God, he's never lost at anything. And he will fight for you. Demons don't have the power to stop you, hear me out, but they have, but they scheme to distract you as they get orders from Satan. Let me read from an author who helps understand, help us understand this better today. So demons are here to distract. They can't stop you when you're walking in the power and the truths of God's word and in Jesus Christ, but they want to divert you. They want to distract you. Listen to what this author said in regards of how they work against us. How do evil spirits, demons, interfere with our lives? The author says this. Let me answer with a simple illustration. Imagine that you are standing at one end of a long narrow street line on both sides with two-story row houses. At the other end of the street stands Jesus Christ. And your Christian life is in the process of walking down that long street of maturity in him. There is absolutely nothing in the street which can keep you from reaching Jesus. So when you receive Christ, you fix your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith and we start walking down this street. But since this world is still under the dominion of Satan, the row houses on either side of you are inhabited by beings, demons, who are committed to keeping you from reaching your goal. They have no power or authority to block your path or even slow your step down. So they hang out of the windows and they call to you, hoping to turn your attention away from your goal and disrupt your progress to Jesus Christ. One of the ways they will try to distract you is by calling out, hey, look over here. I got something you really want. It tastes good feels good, and it's a lot more fun than your boring walk down Jesus Street. Come on in and take a look. That's called temptation. Suggesting to your mind ways to serve yourself instead of God. As you continue your walk towards Christ, you will also have thoughts like, I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'll never amount to anything for God. Satan's demons are masters at accusation, especially after they have distracted you through temptation. One minute they're saying, try this. There's nothing wrong with it. Then when you yield, they're right there taunting. See what you did? How can you call yourself a Christian when you behave like that? Accusation is one of Satan's primary weapons in his attempt to distract you from the goal. Other remarks which are hurled at you while you walk down the street sound like this. You don't need to go to church today. It's not important to pray and read the Bible every day. Some of this stuff isn't bad. 
That's called deception. And it's Satan's most subtle weapon. You will often hear these messages in first person singular. And here's how they go. I don't need to go to church today or pray or read my Bible. Satan knows you will be more easily deceived if he can make you think the thought was yours instead of his. What's the enemy's goal, the author says here, in having his demons jeer you, taunt you, lure you, and question you from the windows and the doorways along your path? He wants you to slow down, sit down, and if possible, give up your journey towards Christ. He wants to influence you to doubt your ability to believe and serve God. Remember, he has absolutely no power or authority to keep you from steadily progressing in your walk towards Christ. And he can never again own you because you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and you are forever in him. But if he can get you to listen to the thoughts he plants in your minds, he can influence you. And if you allow him to influence you long enough through temptation, accusation, and deception, he can control you. Hear me out, Grace, please. You and I have everything we need when we come to Christ. The living God, the Holy Spirit lives in us. We can walk through this light and he can fire everything he wants at us and it will deflect off of us if we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and walk in his truth and his power. And when we do, we make a difference for the kingdom. But listen, it's hard work. There's temptations, man. Some of them are really good, aren't they? And he comes after you when you're weak and tired and you've been battling and, and this, this, this friction came in this relationship and he uses obstacles and he knows when to attack. And we have these tendencies and we have these generational sins that have been passed down and it's a battle, but here's what I know. We have everything we need to walk in victory in Jesus Christ and not our own power. They cannot stop you. And you have the authority and rights based on the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And you and I are seated with him and we can walk in that power. So what do you choose to believe this morning? The lie of Satan or the truths of the Bible? He can never own you because you have been redeemed but he can influence you if you let him. I have a mentor friend that I've known for 25 years, been a dear brother. He's taught me more in this area than I have ever read about. Godly man, loves the Lord. And so I sit at his feet and I learn. And I look at scripture and I read scripture and it lines up with scripture. On one occasion, years ago, my friend was called into a Christian college. And he walked into this Christian college and there was a Christian who was delusional, who was saying things that weren't in his voice, who was doing things that was detrimental to other people in the room. And all of his roommates had fled. And this person wasn't himself. And so my friend was called into this room to go and speak to this friend who wasn't himself. 
And when my friend walked into the room, this young man spoke in another voice. And he called out my friend. You don't belong here. Get out of here. I don't want you here. In a voice that wasn't his own. Obviously, my friend understood what was happening. He was being controlled, oppressed, influenced by demons. However, Satan is very crafty. But listen to me. The wisdom of God is much more and very much more wiser than the wisdom of Satan. And one of the reasons we study the word of God is so that the Holy Spirit can teach us and illuminate the truths of his word. And so my friend, who is a wise veteran Christian, understood that Satan is very crafty. And he knew if he could get this young man to speak the name of Jesus Christ, that he could be free. And so my friend looked at this person who was standing there and he said, say the letter J. And so this person said the letter J. He said, say the letter E. So the person said the letter E. Say the letter S. So he said S. Say the letter U. So he said U. Say the letter S. And he said yes. So he had J-E-S-U-S. And so he asked him then, now, now sound out speak out, put those letters together. And so he helped enunciate Jesus. And when this young man actually spoke in his tongue, Jesus, immediately, he came to his senses. And my mentor friend sat with him, helped him renounce sin that he was toiling in, areas that he had become a pattern of, of addiction, and he renounced, repented, and walked in the forgiveness of Jesus, and he never again was influenced or controlled. Now, hear me out. Satan's crafty, and my friend was very aware of that, so he had to be more clever and wiser than the enemy, and God gave him that truth. Freedom comes as you walk in truth. Please remember this. This is not a power encounter with Satan. He's not as strong. It's a truth encounter. And the Bible is loaded with truth. If you choose not to believe it, then you will be thwarted in your walk by Satan and his demons. Hear me out. If you have friends and colleagues that want to say that the Bible is a myth, that parts of the word of God aren't true, or that some of them aren't inspired, or that only portions of it are inspired. Listen to me, that's a lie. And when you begin to believe the lie, you can be controlled by the demons around you. This is the word of God. Inspired, inerrant, infallible words of God contains the truth of God. And I will take a bullet in the head for that. This is truth. So someone tries to tell me otherwise, it's a lie. We also know this, that he works overtime trying to influence us to believe his lies. And by the way, he's really good at it. If you don't own a weapon, your next best thing, in case of Satan, is to win people over and tell them some lies about their commander-in-chief. And try to convince you, Jesus, if Jesus really loved you, here's, his, here's a lie. Then you shouldn't struggle as a Christian. If Jesus really loves you, then you shouldn't be sick. 
If Jesus really loved you, then you shouldn't be bankrupt. If Jesus really loves you, then you wouldn't have this rift in your marriage. Hear me out. Our dumb choices causes a lot of those things. He wants you to be afraid of him. And his intent is to keep you so distracted with temptation so that you will continue to fall and fall and fall. Sometimes you just need to pull away and say, here's what I do. It's not because I'm walking in my own power. When I walk in the power and the truths of Jesus, listen to me, we're dangerous. And he knows it. And so as a reminder, I'm a very visual learner. When he comes after me, I think about the lion and the wizard of Oz. That's all you are. You have no power over me. You've been declawed. You got a holster with no weapon. And all I have to do is speak the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus. And he flees. But we daily have to implement those disciplines in our lives. This is not a power struggle. It's a truth struggle. So we must out-truth the father of lives. However, here's what happens. Way too many people in this room and in the link and across the world are living in the shadow of a father or mother, teacher, coach, or boss who told them you weren't good enough or you didn't have what it took to be successful or you are trying your hardest to prove that you have what it takes by accomplishing something. The truth is this, no earthly accomplishment will ever fill that void. The only thing that will fill that void is the truths of Jesus Christ. And when you know who you are and you know whose you are and that you are chosen from the foundation of the world, a royal priesthood, and you have been handpicked by God, all the power, all the temptation, all the influences, all the demonic activity that wants to come against you will not win because you can stand in the power and the truth of Jesus Christ and deflect it. Oh, if we could live that way. We could live that way. The power of Satan is in the lie. That's all he has. The power of the believer is knowing the truth. A few years back, I was on a missions trip. I led a group of Grace College students on a missions trip to Cambodia. And one of the tasks that we had was to learn how to ride a motorcycle, a 100cc motorcycle, so that we could get on them the next day and drive out through the villages and jungles of Cambodia. Now, for some, some are more gifted to ride than others are to, gifted to ride. And so we took a full day, and it was, it was a horrible sight, just as what, trying to teach people how to ride a motorcycle. But we knew we had to learn how to ride them. If we wanted to go out into the villages that we went to, they would be seeing white people for the very first time. And so what we found is of the 18 to 20, we found that there were about 10 that could ride well, and, and so the rest of them were passengers. So the next morning, we woke up. And the task was, we're going north on road five, dusty road, dirt road, cattle, animals, people, chickens, and we're going to find our way before GPS to this village and share the gospel. That morning, there was a man who was a pastor of a church. And as we got to the front lines, 
He came to us and said, I'm afraid. I'm, what it, it began all these what? What, what, if, what if the motorcycle breaks down? What if we get a flat tire? What if someone wrecks? What if someone gets hurt? Where will we take them? We shouldn't do this. This isn't good. This is dangerous. What will their parents say? What if, what if, what if? And I began to realize this man was enveloped by fear. And he was believing the lies of the demons that were throwing things out on this path that we were to walk on. And he says, I'm not gone. You go. I'm not gone. I'm not going to be part of that. Here was a Christ follower, a believer, preaching God's word, scared to death. When we got back that night, my mentor and I went and sat with this dear brother who I love dearly. And we walked him through and told him the lies that he was believing and showed him where the enemy had got a a foothold into his heart and helped him see that there was something in his life that he was believing that was a lie. And he spoke that lie forth and we said, replace it with the truth. And he replaced it with the truth of God's word. He renounced his sin. He repented of his sin. And let me tell you, next morning, we're going out into another village. You know who was right out in front? We couldn't keep up with him. It was him. And I I remember riding behind him, tears running down my face, saying, in your face, Satan. Hear me out. I love you guys. And there's some of you, you are trailing behind. You are letting addiction and lies and believing that somehow you can't overcome something. And you're saying that I don't have what it takes to find reconciliation or give up this addiction, to give up this thing in my life, and I'll never amount to anything. What you've done is you're saying, my God isn't strong enough. You are believing. You are allowing the enemy to tell you that your God isn't strong enough to help you overcome. You have believed the lie of the enemy. Demons influence, demons oppress. You can be set free. Lord, I know in this room of this size that in the link and around the world that many of us have let the enemy beat us up and we've settled. We said things like this, I'll never ever come with that. I'll never be able to come that habit. And I'll never be able to forgive. I'm not strong enough and my time has passed me. I pray, God, in an unusual way that we would no longer allow the enemy to have these footholds on our hearts. And I pray that we would see victory after victory after victory in the strong and mighty name of Jesus Christ so that this community can be won back to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand in closing. And I'd like to pray a prayer of blessing over you. It's something that I put to pen this week. So I'm going to ask you to do something. In receiving this, I'm going to ask you just to open up your palms, just hold your palms out. And I'd like to pray this prayer of blessing over your life. So just extend your hands upward to receive this blessing. May you live this week to your full potential in Jesus. May that temptation that has crippled you recently be overcome. 
May you remember that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. May the fullness and richness of God's love and mercy fall upon you in a real way this week. May the broken past, empty and hollow relationships and diminished dreams be restored. May new fruit come from the ashes of your past. May you walk in the power and authority of Jesus and his truths in a new way. May your life become a vehicle that points thousands to Jesus. May the patterns of insanity and addiction and sin be broken in your life. May the fruit of spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control exude from your pores. May addiction, disease, fears, lies, and deception no longer rule in you. May new life spring from the barrenness of your heart and soul. May laughter, creativity, unity, and hope burst from the doorways of your home. May the God of peace cover you as you venture into new territory. And may you now walk in freedom, not bondage, fully aware of the mission God has placed on your life to reach a world that desperately needs Jesus. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. See you next week.